Hello and welcome to the first ever episode of Weather Permitting, a weather and environmental podcast based in sunny Sarasota, Florida. I'm your host, Carlos Munoz, a reporter at the Sarasota Herald Tribune. Throughout our episodes, we will talk to scientists, citizens, and meteorologists about weather phenomenon in the Sunshine State and the massive coastal environment that we live in. It could be anything from hurricane season to climate change to harmful algae to the marine life that makes Florida so popular for residents and our visitors. We'll start off today by talking about coral health and disease with scientist Dr. Aaron Muller. Dr. Muller is the science director of the Keys Campus's Elizabeth Moore International Center for Coral Reef Research and Restoration. She is a postdoctoral uh, fellow who has been working on some great things in coral reproduction and restoration this past year. Uh, so hello, Dr. Muller. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi. Well, I'm Dr. Aaron Muller. As you said, I'm the science director of Moat Marine Laboratory's uh, Keys Lab, which is in Summerlin Key. And I'm lucky enough to be able to research everything related to coral reefs, uh, coral conservation, and coral restoration that a Moat Marine Laboratory is involved in. And so I get to help coordinate a lot of research and um, look for funding to do novel experiments and, most importantly, uh, provide assistance with the coral restoration program, which is really providing a lot of effort to get corals back out onto the Florida Reef Tract. Now, how long have you been working in coral, and uh, is, this, uh, is this the only area that you work in, or do you expand to some of these other sciences also? Yeah, I've been studying coral since about 2004 um, when I started my graduate work at Florida Institute of Technology, and I really focused on studying corals and coral reefs because I, I realized what an important ecosystem it is and how much need there is to try to preserve it because it is a, an ecosystem in peril. Um, and so I've been studying, you know, reefs for the last 15 years or so. And really, once you get to the PhD level, you kind of get pretty specialized. And so I deal with a lot of reef-related things, whether it's reef fishes, reef ecology, uh, corals or coral diseases, you know, microbial ecology of the reef, but it, it is specific to that particular ecosystem. You know, I think a lot of people come to Florida and they see all the great things that we have here, the animals, the, uh, the wildlife, you know, the, obviously the, the, you know, marine life. And underneath that is the, is the coral. Um, can you talk to us just a little bit about what coral is and how important it is to our, our ecosystem? Yeah, corals are an incredibly unique organism. They actually are an animal and they're kind of like the thin layer of tissue that are made up of little polyps, like little anemones that are all connected to each other with tentacles that are very small, sometimes very hard to see, but um, it's a layer of tissue, and that tissue is an animal. And underneath that layer of tissue, the animal secretes a, a calcium carbonate skeleton, which creates that kind of rock-like uh, structure that you imagine, you know, when you see an image of a coral. But corals are super complex because they have uh, mutualistic relationships with microbes that live inside of their tissue. Um, the most important one probably is this relationship that it has with a single cell algae. Uh, the tissue of coral is actually translucent for the most part, but the reason why corals are beautiful colors is because of the algae that live 
live inside of their tissue. That algae photosynthesizes and uh, provides a bunch of nutrients to the coral, and then the coral provides a home for that algae um, to kind of escape predation, so they have a nice home to live in. And, and those organisms have to work together in this nice mutualistic relationship for that coral to be healthy. You know that, um, and so. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Okay. I guess when I when I think about coral, I think about something that's kind of coming up, protruding from uh, you know a reef or you know the uh, the sea floor. What makes coral um, unlike rocks or like uh, plants and, and other things that you'll find uh, on that reef? Well, it's kind of a combination of all of those things. So it's not just a, a rock, but part of its organism is a, a skeleton, and, and it's not just an animal because it needs to have a, a symbiotic relationship with a with a plant that lives inside of its tissue. So it's kind of all of those things rolled into one, which makes it such a, a unique organism to study, but one that's critical because when you look at a reef, that hard geological structure, that reef is actually made of the skeletons of corals. Um, And so when you don't have living corals contributing to the creation or accretion of that reef over time, you actually will see that that reef structure is going to erode and and have um, get kind of deeper and deeper through time. And and it doesn't provide a, a lot of the physical structure that you know, we utilize and we think it's really important for ecosystem services that that we provide, such as um, absorbing wave energy as as uh, waves from storms roll through. You know, we want those waves to break on the reef, and and without that physical structure there, those waves aren't going to break. We're going to have a lot more erosion, um, and so having healthy coral out there to add to that physical structure is super important. Now, where are we going to find coral generally? Yeah, where, where do you find coral? So you want to find coral right in the shallow water reef area, and they can grow deeper into what we would call mesophotic reefs that are, you know, 130, 200, you know, feet. You can find corals. If there's light available, you, you want to be able to find living corals. But, you know, the, the state of the Florida reef tract is in a, a, a pretty dire situation. So if you had gone to a reef in much of the Florida Reef Tract in the 1960s, early 70s, uh, even mid-70s, you would have seen about half of that reef covered with living hard corals, we call stony corals. And those corals are the ones that are creating to the reef. They're the ones that are providing all the unique niches that organisms need to survive. Uh, but now if you go to the same Florida Reef Tract, for the most part, you have about a 2% cover. So we've lost, you know, over 90% of, of the living coral within that Florida reef track. So, so it's really difficult, actually, to go to a reef now and, and find healthy living coral. Um, and that's why coral restoration is so important. All right. And, you know, I know you, you work with Dr. Hannah Cook, uh, evolutionary biologist who joined Moat in April of last year, actually 2018. Um, and you guys are collaborating on uh, new research. Can you tell me a little bit about that research and, uh, you know, how um, an evolutionary biologist can contribute to some of the coral health? Yeah, absolutely. So Hannah Cook joined our team in 2018. She's actually a visiting research fellow um, and is funded by the German Research Foundation. Um, So, you know, we're lucky to have her kind of temporarily now, which we hope will will continue long into the future. But she has brought these um, unique skills into our restoration program. So, 
So we need to grow corals on land and in the water in nursery settings in order to move them eventually back out onto the reef to try to help get coral cover to increase and to jumpstart population recovery. But what we don't want to do is just throw the corals back out there and keep our fingers crossed and hope for the best because we don't think that's a very uh, wise way to be spending our our time and and money and effort into doing restoration. We want to ensure that the corals we put out there today are, are still around for decades or centuries to come because corals actually have an indefinite lifespan. So we want to put a lot of energy up front into figuring out, you know, the healthiest and most resilient population of corals that we can put out onto the reef as we're doing these restoration projects. And so um, Hannah's research has primarily focused on using sexual reproduction, so basically getting collecting gametes from, um, from these corals, uh, assisting them in uh, having sexual recombination events, so like mixing eggs and sperm of, of parent colonies to create thousands and thousands of babies in our lab. And, and that in and of itself is a, is a challenge. It, there's so many bottlenecks that can cause um, high mortality rates. So she's been, you know, working at honing those skills to become really successful at it, and she, and she has been. Uh, we have thousands and, and thousands of babies that she's taking care of right now. But what's unique about her evolutionary biology background is she's working with us to um, identify corals that are more resilient to some of the things that are not going away, like increasing water temperatures, uh, decreasing pH from ocean acidification, and and also disease outbreaks. And she's working to see, uh, to determine whether or not those traits can be heritable to the next generation. So can you take a a disease-resistant mom and cross it with a disease-susceptible dad and create thousands of new babies that are more disease-susceptible than if you would have just kind of randomly selected from that population. So really looking at novel ways to increase resilience, also increasing genetic diversity through those sexual recombination events, and then, you know, hoping to figure out the best way to do these um, assisted sexual crosses that are going to increase the resilience of the population that we put back out there onto the reef environment. Now, this is, uh, from what I understand, groundbreaking stuff. I've talked to Earl Kimmel, one of our uh, reporters here at the Herald Tribune, who is constantly down in Key West, and uh, I I believe he's talked to you before. And, uh, you know, the work that's gone into this over the years, I mean, can you just talk a little bit about, you know, the effort to actually be able to do this now and uh, what it means for the coral? Because from what I understand, it, it increases the growth time substantially. Yeah, so we've been, as an institution, tackling coral restoration for about a decade now, and there's been a lot of effort put in into figuring out the best techniques to grow the corals as quickly as possible, you know, have successful outplanting, successful um, survival rates once we get them out onto the reef, Um, being able to now with, you know, Dr. Cook's efforts be able to collect uh, gametes from those corals that we actually, you know, are growing and create the next generation and do resilience testing on top of that, you know, to create resilient populations. I mean, that has taken a huge amount of effort and really novel, um, you know, approaches to try to overcome some of the biology that, that corals are restricted to. So, so for example, 
Um, our previous uh, director of the lab down in the Keys is Dr. David Bond, and, and he really pioneered this technique that's called microfragmentation and, and reskinning. And what that does is it focuses on some of our slow-growing, massive coral species, so like the brain coral, corals, the boulder cor- corals that only grow a couple millimeters a year, usually. Um, and by microfragmenting them, basically taking one large colony and creating hundreds of little, little tiny pieces that are then mounted onto a ceramic plug and grown out in our land-based nursery, that physical fragmentation actually accelerates the growth rate of the corals. And under optimal conditions, you can get a coral that grows 50 times faster um, than if you just kind of let it let a large coral grow on its own. So this has been able to allow us to kind of overcome some of those limitations with the slow-growing um, coral species, the ones that are actually contributing a lot to uh, reef accretion or, or growing that reef through their skeleton depositions. Um, and so what we do is we create those microfragments, we get a, a fast growth rate, and then we outplant them back on, onto the reef on coral heads that used to be alive that are now just dead skeletons. And we outplant about 20 of those uh, fragments into an array, and all those fragments had originally come from the same parent colony, meaning it came from a coral with the same DNA. And so when those plugs grow out, they resheat, they resheat over the um, head of the, of the dead coral, and they eventually touch each other and they fuse because they came from the same parent. And they create a large, um, about 30-centimeter diameter coral within around three years after outplanting. And this is super important because corals uh, reproduce based on size. And so they have to get up to a size limit before they can create their eggs and sperm to contribute contribute to the next generation. So if you had one of these slow-growing species, you know, create a larvae, have them settle, and then grow to reproductive age, it can take 20 years. But by microfragmentation and reskinning, we can accomplish creating a reproductively sized coral with a very small amount of initial living tissue within just a, a matter of a few years. And so, you know, we're able to really tackle these issues with novel approaches um, because of the thought, time, and, and effort we've been putting into this process for the last decade. All right. And, you know, I, I kind of want to go back a little bit to the uh, importance of coral. You know, uh, the, uh, the Florida Keys National Marine Sanctuary says that um, there's over 50 species of corals, and they support some, some 6,000 species of plants, fishes, and invertebrates. Can you tell me a little bit just about you know, what coral means to the, uh, to the environment? Yeah, so, I mean, coral and coral reefs are such a unique ecosystem, and, and they are very important biologically, but also they provide a lot of ecosystem services. Those are things that, that are useful to humans, whether you realize it or not. So coral reefs are the most biologically diverse ecosystem in the ocean, many people argue, in the world. They rival rainforests on land and their ecological biodiversity. Um, and so they're critically important in providing homes for up to 25% of all marine life, like need coral reefs in order to survive. Um, but in addition to that, as we kind of talked about earlier, they provide things like absorbing wave energy to protect our shorelines. They create an ecosystem that um, 
houses really unique organisms that we already harvest to use to fight human diseases like cancer, neurological disorders, um, disease-resistant bacteria. So they're a great novel source of medicines. Um, they also help provide food for over a billion people around the world. So people you know, rely on reefs for food and income about a seventh of the population of the world, so they're incredibly important. And then when you think about the Florida Reef Tract alone, it's a huge economic driver for the state of Florida. It helps bring in over 16 million visitors to our state because people want to come and they want to visit our coral reefs. So we need to make sure that their visit is, you know, their experience is something uh, like a healthy coral reef instead of degraded coral reef. Uh, It's estimated that the Florida Reef Tract provides over 70,000 jobs to people in the state of Florida, and they're estimated to be worth somewhere between 6 to $8 billion to our state economy. So they're incredibly important for the biology of our Earth, uh, for all the ecosystem services it provides, and also for the economy in the state of Florida. So incredibly important ecosystem that we need to preserve. Wow, that's pretty incredible. And just, you know, the, the work that you guys are doing down in the Keys um, can you talk just a, a little bit about how how that's going? Uh, you know, how is it, what is the success rate, and uh, you know, just like uh, I guess the field the field work like right now. Yeah, we when we put corals, you know, back out onto the reef, um, we typically see a ninety percent or higher survival rate onto the sites that we're outplanting the corals to. Uh, not all of them have that high success rate. But uh, we learn from every single outplant that we put out there that this species does well on this type of reef or, or this other species um, does even better when we put it in, in these particular locations. And so every time we, we outplant corals, we learn more. But if we don't see over 90% success rate, then, then we know we need to reevaluate and, um, and find a location where these, these particular corals do better. So, you know, on average, we're, we're getting well over um, 80% success rate on average. And, and so when we put corals out there, they're, they're doing quite well. Um, you know, and, and a bad site would be a 50% success rate. So, you know, even sites that we are having trouble with getting the corals to be able to survive, um, you know, we're still getting at least half of them to persist. And, and it's funny because some of our major issues are things like predation. So we get a, once you put those corals out onto the reef, it's a, a new prey item for things like parrotfish or um, fireworms or snails that like to eat corals. And so, you know, one of our biggest hurdles is uh, for those corals to overcome some of the predation that they experience when they first get out there. Um, It's not, you know, issues with uh, disease usually or uh, often we don't see mortality related to bleaching, which is associated with high water temperatures because our corals are pretty resilient, you know, based on a lot of the research that we've done. But, you know, that predation, that initial predation event is uh, is the the issue we have to try to figure out how to overcome right now with, uh, with a lot of our outplants. You know, I know there's several different species of coral. What's the one that, uh, or the, a couple that are most, most common here in Florida? Some of the, I mean, what used to be around the most was the staghorn and the elkhorn coral. So those were the most common um, species throughout the Florida reef tract, you know, prior to the seventies, we actually 
lost a good uh, portion of both of those species from a disease outbreak that happened in the late 70s and early 80s. So since uh, since then, you know, there's been a lot of effort to try to recover those species, and, and we have both of those species as, um, as two of our main corals that we work with and outplant, and we just outplanted our over 20,000 um, staghorn corals this year, and we have uh, in the several thousand elkhorn corals outplanted onto the reef this year already. So those two species are, are really important because they provide a lot of the um, the niche space that invertebrates and, and fishes used uh, as habitat for their home. And so we're trying to get those corals back out there, you know, along with some of the slow-growing species that we use the micro-fragmentation process on um, in order to get a big suite of, of corals that provide, you know, different um, services to the reefs that we're putting them onto. You know, when you talk about the, the growth that, that comes from the work that you do, do you compare that to uh, just the natural growth of coral? Like, how long would it take for coral to replenish itself or re- reproduce naturally? Well, uh, once we get corals back out onto the reef, it takes about two years in general, two to three, for them to start reproducing on their own. But we're estimating that we need the coral cover to be around 25% for that reef to be able to start repopulating itself on its own. Um, So, you know, that coral cover can can take a lot of... um, outplants and a lot of time to get those corals large enough to be, you know, able to uh, cover the reef at a, at a high enough um, density in order to have successful spawning events, not just spawning, but then they need to mix together in the water column um, with other individuals, uh, create, you know, allow transformation to a larvae to occur, and then they have to settle back onto the to the reef. And then in addition to some of the issues with just having corals, you know, being able to have corals back out into the reef and survive. Um, there's a lot of, like, a lot of the reef is covered in things that don't allow for settlement to occur, such as macroalgae or um, sediments that kind of uh, lay on top of the hard reef substrate. And so as we're going through, you know, the process of, of recovering a reef, we have to consider you know, how do we remove these nuisance species so that the corals that we put out there, you know, can grow and, and, and do well, but then also the babies that get produced, you know, once we get the corals uh, reproductively viable, have a place to settle and grow and survive too. So it's a multifaceted issue, and, you know, we have to come up with a lot of different techniques and methodologies to, to get the coral back up into a healthy state again. When I think about just some of the things that uh, are factors out there, there. What can be done just to help promote the growth of that? In addition to what you guys are right. already working so, on. Right. So, so how do we, how do we try to preserve, you know, the corals that are left out on the reef environment? So, right. coral restoration is is essential for us trying to maintain some of the ecosystem functions that reefs provide right now. But, you know, as you mentioned, there's a lot of issues that reefs are facing from global climate change um, to diseases, and you know, at the same time. As we're doing restoration, we have to think about things like how do we reduce the rate of change of, of how warm the earth is getting, because that's one of the most biggest issues that reefs have to deal with today is, is global climate change and increasing water temperatures. So 
you know, I mean, we have to have some big societal shifts to renewable energy and away from um, producing more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. We have to think about things like cleaning up the water, you know, if there's any wastewater issues or, um, or pollution that's coming in from land-based sources, you know, all that has to be dealt with so that you're creating a healthy environment for those corals that are out there still and the corals that we put out there to try to prevent, you know, the next uh, disease outbreak that's occurring or to prevent sedimentation that smothers reefs, which can happen during a lot of construction projects. Um, And then, you know, We've been dealing with a large coral disease outbreak for the last five years throughout the Florida Reef Tract. So this is a pretty unique epizootic that started off the coast of Miami-Dade County area and has been spreading, you know, throughout the entire Florida Reef Tract. So now basically everywhere from west of Key West to Martin County, which is the extent of the Florida Reef Tract for the most part besides dry tortugas is has been dealing with this disease outbreak called stony coral tissue loss disease. And it's affecting over 20 different species of corals, causing complete mortality. Sometimes, sometimes, you know, certain species are becoming locally extinct because of it. Um, And so, you know, we have to, as scientists, we're, we're coming together to try to figure out novel ways to, to keep the corals that are out there um, from, completely perishing. Um, and so some of those methods, uh, we've, you know, colleagues of mine are out putting uh, out on the reef, putting things like antibiotic paste on some of the diseased corals or trying to work with probiotics to get healthy bacteria out onto the coral so that they can fight the disease as they come through. So we're really having to think about novel ways to try to tackle some of these huge, huge issues like the stony coral tissue loss disease outbreak, like, you know, global climate change by creating uh, more resilient populations to increasing temperature. Um, But one thing, you know, we, we do know, which we try to communicate this to the public often, is that when you reduce the local impacts, they can deal with global impacts better. So, you know, making sure that your reef isn't being physically damaged by too many visitors or too many boats or anchors, making sure that, you know, the water that is interacting with the corals is clean and and that there's, you know, not toxins within it, whether it's coming from land or personal care products, making sure that that water is is healthy and clean and clear. Um, That's going to make a huge difference when we have the next uh, increased water temperature, like heat wave during the next summer. You know, if we have a healthy local system that can deal with those heat waves a little bit easier. Um, So, you know, promoting local um, management is really, really important. It sounds like there's a lot of things people can do at home just to uh, just to make sure that uh, the environment is a little bit better. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, there's thinking about your global carbon footprint, thinking about your personal care products, um, thinking about, you know, what is the wastewater of my community doing and where is it going? Um, you know, and then if you, one of the one of the great tools that MOAT provides to the state of Florida is the Protector Reefs License Plate. So if you have a car and you want a vanity plate, you could get a Protector Reefs License Plate. And that gives about $25 each plate each year to our restoration program. And that's about what it costs to get a coral back out onto the reef. We estimate it's about $25 to get a, a staghorn coral from 
to be grown in our nursery and put back out into the reef. So every time, you know, you get your Protect Our Reefs license plate, you're basically putting coral back out into the environment. So that's something that you can do, you know, without having to go out of your way um, and, you know, support reef restoration. That sounds great. And I know that uh, a lot of people I've seen in the Sarasota community have gotten those plates. I've seen them around town. Uh, you know, I'm considering getting one myself. So, um, Yes, well, you should. I recommend it. Definitely. Uh, do you have any other things you want to talk about? Um, no, I think we, we covered a pretty large range of you know, a lot of the work that we're doing at Moat Marine Laboratory. And thank you so much for having me on the show today and look forward to talking again in the future. All right. Thank you for your time. And, uh, you know, thank you to everyone who's listening to our first weather permitting podcast. Uh, You can follow us online on Facebook groups at weather permitting podcast for the latest on Florida weather, beach conditions, environmental research. And I encourage everyone to participate in the discussion and uh, do your best to keep Florida beautiful. Um, I'm your host, Carlos Munoz, and thank you for listening.